0: Blog Talk Radio.
1: To another episode of Cats Talk Wednesday, Vinnie Hardy here, outside of Knoxville, Tennessee. Got a big time jam-packed show. My man Terry, TV Brown, joins us from the largest city in our home state, Louisville, Kentucky. TV, we come in, putting the bowl on another good season. A little earlier than we wanted to. Um, that's, of course, the primary focus of the show, and we're talking about a lot of other things as well, variety of topics. How are you doing this weekend, this evening, rather, and how was your weekend outside of the game against those little Tar Heels? Oh, well, you know,
2: uh, outside of the game, it was a, it was a pretty good weekend. Uh, I got to hang around with my girls a lot uh, this past weekend. And be with them, which is always good. But the game, you know, I know we're going to go into some detail and and kind of some of the ramifications from that game, uh, particularly with uh, the McDonald's All American game taking place this evening with some future cats on it. Uh, but another another good season. I mean, you can't you can, you can be a little disappointed, but you can't be fully disappointed. I don't think uh, with the way the season ended. I mean, losing to North Carolina in the uh, Elite Eight in the regional semifinal ain't bad. I mean, it's, it's not bad by any stretch, no. but but we, I, I know you've seen it. I've seen it. Some things that have kind of taken place afterwards uh, that have kind of, I think, gone a little too far. But uh, but a, a good season and. Well, I know we'll get into it. I don't wanna step on too much but uh but no, I'm doing good, had a good weekend.
1: Yeah, and we we'll, have uh just a preview kind of what we got on schedule on tap. We we'll talk a lot about the game the Elite Eight and I'm with you thirty two and six is Kentucky's final record and I mean another thirty win seasons. Only six losses and if you go back to the slump they were in when they were, you know, losing three out of four and getting blown out against Florida and, and having trouble stopping teams from, you know, straight line drops to the bucket. You, can, you could probably envision double digit losses at that time just until you're like, are they going to? And we know that they have definitely turned things around, but at that point, you're like, wow. And then, you know, to go on a 13, 14-game win streak, and, and like I said, 32-6. and six, you can't ever, you know, look down at that or, or sneeze at that or scoff at that. Um, but to preview the rest of what we got, in a few minutes we're going to have uh, Brandon Colditz on, and he is the Creative Services Director for the Creative Design at UCA Athletics. And, look, that's a lot of words, and I'm still not really sure what it is, so we're going to have him on to talk about it. You know, followed, his, he followed the show and he followed the show and followed us on Twitter a long time ago. I saw his title. I'm like, man, I I wonder what that is. So at some point, we're we'll trying to have him on the show. So we'll talk about what he does with UK as far as the creative design is concerned, because that's just something I was curious about. Maybe others will be as well. Maybe it just be me, but so either way, we're gonna learn some things. Uh, talk about Kentucky with him. He also. Um, not to spoil it, he was also in Memphis when Cal was in Memphis. We'll talk about that. So that well Some more things from his background when Brandon calls in. So looking forward to that in about 10 minutes. Um, and later on throughout the show, we have former UK wide receiver. You hear him on the radio during football season every Saturday afternoon with Tom Leach. Um, Debbie Jeff Coro, who is on does the, the uh, color work for UK sport, uh, Sports Network with Tom Leach, so I'm uh, going to call Jeff because the spring game is right around the corner, of TV, April the 14th, uh, will be the spring game Friday night under the lights at Commonwealth, so I wanted to get, you know, Jeff on, get a little perspective on that, they're still practicing and, and getting ready and leading up to that, but I uh, wanted to get him on and he just gave me his number, so I'm going to call him at a point in the show and see if we can get him on. He didn't really give a time. He just shot me his number, and I was like, okay, so I'll, I'll call him in 26th So I hope to have Jeff Corral on as well. So he we got some fun stuff in and around the basketball talk uh, from this past season. TB, as you mentioned, uh, the future uh, guys that are already committed, and then there's possibility of some – more commitments, possibly potential future casts than we could see tonight in the McDonald's game, in addition to those guys who are already uh, coming to Lexington here in a few months. Yeah, you, people, long-time listeners know, we're not big recruiting
2: guys. You know, I, I, I will flip by the McDonald's game, but I don't even really get that much into it, to be honest with you. I, I kind of focus in on, once they get to campus then they become my guys. That's probably not the the right angle to take or, or but that's kinda how I am. I am just out of fruiting. Yeah. Shame shame on us. Yeah. Same, same on us. <laughs> I I just I don't get into it. Uh because I think it kinda robs uh the present of a little bit. So I, I don't get too much involved, but I'm a flip by. Of course, you know, they'll they'll be quote unquote my guys, our guys next year. Uh, you know when they once they arrive in Lexington, but for the guys this year, and and here this is, I was telling some friends uh, as we wait for our first guest. This is pretty much this this season. It's is pretty much Cal season. What we've seen his eight seasons here in Lexington. The team is young, and Cal reminds us of that. They struggle a little bit. And, and we start to wonder what's going on. And then they turn it on, come the tournament. I mean, six elite eights and seven tournament appearances ain't bad. And not only do you see that, but as soon as Kentucky loses, that's when folks come out of the woodwork talking about Cow's way. Oh, it, it doesn't they work. They and And, 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 you know, the one and done. And, and you know, and, the one thing that aggravates me is Gary Parish of CBS Sports uh tweeted out right after the game Cal has had the top class uh recruiting class 7 times but only got into the final four with that class 3 times and it it doesn't it, it it what and here's the thing what he said is accurate and factual but how he presented it was like wow really you you feel like you're yearning something. And a couple of points to that. Number one, four Final Fours in eight years is absurd. It's absurd. I mean, it's, it's, it's rarefied air. Throw in the national title and the, and the runner-up, and that is just ridiculous. Uh, and I have said for a while, and I think I've said it on here, but I'm going to say it again. Look at who we lost to in the tournament. We talked about this when we had James on last week, James Striebel of ESPN 680 here in Louisville. Look, at who, you, you lose to number one seed Carolina. That's not bad. You, you know, you lose by two. Uh, it, it, it's not a. It, you know, and, and I think the outside folks and the folks within the fan base that are being overly critical are basing everything off the assumption of number one rankings. And uh, number one recruiting rankings and preseason rankings. That that's just not accurate. You have to look at. My dad used to say, "The proof of the pudding is in the eating." Like you can come up with the craziest recipe. You know, I like to watch these cooking shows on the on the cooking network. And as they're cooking, as they're putting stuff together, it it sometimes does not look appeasing at all. But at the end, they put the the chef puts their special X Y and Z, and you get. As Little Miss likes to say, you get a feast. And when you look at what Cal has done in relation to the field, still pretty good. You know, I, I think second to Kansas in regular season wins in this stretch, number one in tournament wins, that's not bad. We're, he's only disappointing by ridiculous expectations. and And I think that's kind of where we are. But you know those kinds of things were going to come up. Every time Kentucky loses, that's just the way it happens.
1: Yeah.
2: As soon as they lose, yeah. it, you know, and and we didn't lose that game because Malik Monk was a freshman. We didn't lose that game because De'Aaron Fox was a freshman. We didn't lose that game because Bam Adebayo was a freshman. I don't know how else we lost to a better team. North Carolina made one more play than we did, I mean, and that happens in sports. I don't care if you've got seniors, juniors, fifth-year seniors, transfers, freshmen, eighth graders, whatever. Those kind of games happen. We have two really talented teams. And it's like every loss is an indictment on Cal's system, and I think we reached the point of absurdity on that.
1: Yeah, and you, uh, even back before March, you know, it with- was – you want Kentucky to, to win it all every year. That's not realistic, but, I mean, you know, your heart hopes for that. A successful season in my book was still, you know, like we always talk about how hard Final Fours are to get to. We know the history at UK. We know what banners get hung for, and I get that. But I still said, you know, Elite Eight will still be a successful run with this team. When the brackets come out, you know, I took a little slack because I, I just I couldn't see Kentucky beating North Carolina a second time. I, I picked North Carolina over Kentucky in the region. That's what happened. We saw how close the game it was. We saw how close the game it was in December. Kentucky winning by three on the shot where they made one more play to North Carolina. The script gets flipped in March. Carolina wins by two uh, on the shot. They hit the buzzer. A uh, few where, you know, most of South Carolina would be a slightly better team, uh, especially with their size and things like that. If they were to play ten times, Carolina probably went to six, but it's, it's very close. As both games uh, indicated, both games, you know, were evidence of that. Um, the thing with with, with Gary Parrish, I saw, <laughs> I saw the tweets, I saw everybody going in on, it, saw everybody getting riled up, and. And like you said, the way he spun it, you know, he, he said you've only been to three Final floors in seven years. So that means you've been, have been before this weekend, you've been to more than you hadn't been to. Now you split the difference. You've still been to half as many uh, in his existence as you came four and eight. It's still pretty special. And like you said, to to uh, it's getting absurd when you, you try to, you know, knock him. When there are shortcomings, but uh, and Gary is probably a nice guy. We know he's been through a lot of personal stuff that you wouldn't wish on anybody. With the loss of a child, nobody should have to go through that ever. And we know him and his wife have gone through that. But the 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 little like you said, the tweet was accurate. Just the spin he put on it. The little he put a little English on that tweet to create that angle. To make it look more negative than it really was, and I saw it, and I thought everybody going in, I was like, "It's you know they're going to do it every year because they've done it every year." And like you said, it's got to the point that it's a concern because it keeps happening every year, and they just do more and more stuff. If you know Kentucky loses next year, you'll have something to say again. And the reason that being said is because. When Kansas lost, he had a tweet about that. Uh, Had Kentucky beaten North Carolina, he probably would have had something already locked and loaded for Roy Williams. He's just going to do what he does. So I saw it, but, I mean, they're going to do what they're going to do. And and (laughs) and you already know. Yeah, just real quick, and I don't
3: want
2: to give too much to to these folks because it was a great season, but the exact quote, uh, tweet was, John Calipari has had a preseason top four team seven times at Kentucky. He's fallen short of the Final Four in four of those seven seasons. So, three out of seven, that's 43% success rate. Right. And this is from Jason Anderson, uh, who's at 680 here in Louisville as well. Cal is three of seven with that criteria. Every other top four preseason team is six. Of 25 which is 24% And I'm not a math major But a 43% clip Is better than 24% Duke specifically One out of three Kansas specifically oh for three So But and you yeah, remember and context, And we're
1: not that old So I remember going to the final four Every three or four years That was great one out of four, that's still most coaches will take that. Everybody should take that, and now he's getting slammed for, for three out of seven. So, you know, it's just
2: ridiculous, like you say. Well, well, yeah, and, and, and that was just you know, that was just with the being the preseason uh, top four, but still, four final fours in eight year span. It's still we're acting yeah. like we're under some drought. It's been two years. I mean, it, it, <laughs> I mean, it,
3: it we just were
2: 38 one two years ago. So, uh, and the one thing I've always said about Cal and his teams, sometimes you have those years where you think, okay, this team didn't live up to what it was supposed to do. Like this team, you, you, you think they left a little bit in the tank. With Kentucky and Cal, I don't think that at all. I don't look at that North Carolina game and say they were holding back. No when you talk about where they were in January, I didn't think they had this in them. And I think I was one of the most positive people. I was optimistic, but I didn't think they had this run in them. When you look at what they did, okay, Wichita State was a tough, tough game. But UCLA, North Carolina, back-to-back, if you win those two games back-to-back, you should get a title just on merit for how good those teams were. So – Uh, You you can't really be disappointed. I mean, I I think you can – okay, yeah, we could have won, but but you you can't say those guys did not give us everything we could have asked for. And outside of the disastrous 2013 team, I don't think – and even that team, I think as flawed as it was, did the best they could. Um, Yeah. So – Uh, When you look at every, and I've said this, and I'll keep saying this, every single NCAA loss, you can see and you can understand because it's happened before. Cold shooting against West Virginia, catching red-hot UConn twice. Uh, I mean, you can understand losing Indiana last year. You can understand losing North Carolina this year. Am I excited? Do I want them to lose? No, but I can understand it because here's the thing, as we'll find out by looking at the McDonald's All-American game tonight, we're going to be back in the mix, and really, from 1998 to 2010, all we really wanted was to be back in the mix. We remember exactly. those Billy that's G my... days. Yeah,
1: we're, we're in the mix,
2: and that's all you can ask for.
1: That's right, and Cal has done it in a creative way year in and year out, playing in different styles, different types of players, and different types of teams. And speaking of creative, we'll segue right into our first guest who joins us, because he is the Creative Services Director for uh, Gold Cat Design, the official Twitter account, UK Athletic Creative Services Department. We are joined by Brandon Colditz. Brandon, thank you so much for taking the time to join us on the show. Welcome to Cat Talk Wednesday. How are you doing this evening, man? I'm doing great. How are you guys? We're doing good. We're doing good. Like I was told Terry, and like when I talked with you yesterday, you know, you followed the show and followed us on Twitter, and I saw your title, you know, Creative Services Director for, you know, you UK Creative Design, and I was like, I, I wanted to know what that was. I was curious. what wanted to bring you on the show. You were like, what for? And I was like, I just want to know kind of what it is. So tell us a little bit about it enlighten us or put it in layman's terms where a little bit like me can understand what the creative services director really does for UK.
4: Yeah. So we actually have a whole department, the creative services department that uh, used to be part of multimedia. um, But we kind of changed names here as, as things geared toward more uh, being online and and social media and and all that kind of stuff. And so I'm actually part of a department of of three full-time staffers. Um, I'm the creative director, uh, but there's also Craig Hornberger, who's the senior creative director who's been at Kentucky here in in, uh, that role for the past 12 years. And then we also have uh, Matt Taylor, who joined us from Chicago just a little bit after I did, um, almost two years ago. So the the three of us, we kind of do maybe about 85 to 90% of all of the visual identity that you see for the UK Athletics Department, from posters to um, social media graphics that, that go up to post-game graphics to media guides uh, to billboards, ribbon boards at the stadium, all of that kind of stuff. We, we kind of team up and, and divide it up and, and just try to promote the, the student-athletes in, in that way
1: like the, the things, like you said, the posters, before each game, you know, a player is on the program or, like you said, a digital version of that. So you guys do actually design what we see and really don't even think twice about before each game as fans, right?
4: Yeah, I mean, I look at, like, social media as, as a place where, you know, graphics are going up constantly. And, and so, I mean, what, what you're trying to do is you're, you're trying to grab someone's attention for your for just a split second, hoping, you know, they, they stop and, and look at the information and stuff like that, that it catches their eye. Uh, but social media, you know, Twitter and Facebook and Instagram, all of that has, has just changed the landscape for that kind of stuff and, and created a, a big demand for graphic designers in college athletics as they, they try to promote their product, try to hit recruits, try to hit fans, and, and you know, try to, try to get people to, to come to the games to know what's going on. Um, all of that is, it's such a visual thing, and, and people are, are going, uh, you know, it used to be where uh, people maybe didn't look at graphics as much, but nowadays it's all quick-hit things where people don't even read things anymore. They're they're looking at, at the pictures and visually getting the information, and, and that's what you're you're trying to capture.
1: So we're Brandon Kolditz, Creative Services Director uh, for UK Creative Design, and on Twitter at Brandon Kolditz, and... UK, that cats Design. Check out both of those Twitter accounts. You mentioned that you have a couple of guys with you there on staff. Do you all split everything by three, or do, does one guy focus on one particular sport or two, and, and each of you kind of attack different sports? How do you divvy up the workload? Yeah, we
4: split it up kind of by sports. Uh, the main sports that, that I handle um, are. Football, baseball, women's soccer, um, men's tennis, women's golf, swimming and diving, and, and then camps uh, for all sports. And uh, Craig, our, our senior director, he's the one who handles most of the basketball. But but when we get into, like, the postseason, like, like we just got through, you know, it's kind of all hands on deck with, with the demand of so many different things need to be pushed out in such a timely fashion, um, all three of us kind of. Are, are doing a little bit for basketball and then the same thing during football season, you know, all three of us do a little bit. We have a point person, but all three of us do and help each other out that way. But we can kind of divide it up kind of much like the communications department does uh, just to kind of give each sport a staffer to, to be over their uh, graphic design needs, their creative needs.
1: I'm looking at the Twitter yeah. account for GoCast design right now and it's if, a if, uh, uh, De'Aaron Fox, and, you know, he just had a 39-point game. And then we see Michaela Epson, Evan Axture. Then there's, you know, a retweet from gymnastics and golf. It's it's constant from this Twitter account, Go design. It's every sport all the time.
4: Yeah, and that's kind of what we use that Twitter account for. We don't really, really put a lot of original content there. We, we do a lot of retweets because we think, you know, that the sports should be the ones that, that are putting up that content. Um, but we use it more as, as just a, like we have a lot of other designers from pro sports to other college athletics and stuff who follow us, too, for examples and ideas and that kind of stuff. And, and, and just to kind of go to one source to kind of see all the different things that, that are being produced. I mean, it's crazy right now the, the demand where a lot of the football programs are looking at creative services and getting their own people just for, for football. Uh, I know the University of Texas just stole two of uh, Alabama's graphic designers for football and took them on, and, and all they do is, is football, two full-time people. So it's, it's getting more and more of a, a demand, and especially for you know the football programs. It's more about um, getting in the hands of the, of the recruits and the team at Recruiting Edge and, and what people perceive of a program. Um, they're usually looking through their social media accounts and the quality of that that kind of stuff can change perceptions.
1: TV, I, I think I catch you off, man. I thought
2: like you were about to ask a question too. Well, Brandon, uh, again, thanks for coming on. But having gone to a couple of games, I went to the uh, I, I, uh, NCAA tournament games in Indy, and the the postseason uh, program not program uh, media guide. It, it was fantastic. It's, it's eye catching and, and, and see it kind of in comparison with some of the other programs that are there. I mean, you, you guys are putting out some top notch stuff that's really eye catching. And, and I know that's the, the goal. I mean, what kind of
4: things do you try to hit to, to really make UK stand out? Well, like it is an example for that, that post-season guide, that was one that was created by, by Craig in our office. And, they usually start thinking about that, you know, around um, SEC tournament time. And they meet with the communication staff and kind of go over, you know, what kind of look are we looking for, how, what kind of content needs to be on there, who's going to be on there, and, and kind of just uh, strategize a little bit and, and brainstorm about that look. And then it's, it's up to the designer to take all of that and, and try to create – what the vision that everybody had and, and i think craig did a really good good job in that case and all he did was was the covers um but then you got the communication staff that works you know a ton of hours putting together all the content that goes inside and i think they they do an excellent job of, of finding all the different nuggets and, and visually too making it look good as you're going through it to set it apart from from some of the, the other opponents
2: yeah, and, and one thing I've noticed—it's—it's it's so uniform across the sports. Like, I mean, you—you you just know when you're looking at something, UK, it, it's—it's something for UK. You might have to get a little closer to see—is it baseball, football? But there's like a uniform look to what you folks are presenting, which I think is is very, very nice
4: and and streamlined. Well, thank you, yeah, and and that's part of our task too. Is is you know we brand standards are are very important as you're trying to. Brand and, and sell your brand. And I think the University of Kentucky, you know, athletics has a great brand and, and it's uh, world globally known. And, and so we, we just have to take those marks, you know, the, between the, the, the logos and, and, and uh, the fonts and the styles and, and try to keep it so that you know that it is Kentucky. Uh, I mean, every sport I think has a, a little bit of a different feel, but there's still some enough similarity. That, that you know that it's Kentucky, and, and it reads Kentucky in the U.K.
1: Talking with Brandon Colditz, Creative Services Director for U.K. Creative Design. Now, you mentioned at the outset, Brandon, how you guys are kind of set up at Kentucky, um, and we look at, say, other sports, look at, you know, football in the SEC, everybody's kind of set up the same with their coaching staff, with the facilities, with, you know, the way they do things. Throughout, you know, other universities, as far as they do creative design, are they kind of set up the same way as you all? Is there kind of, a, or is everybody kind of still getting into it, or is everybody kind of at the same level and in, in the way they go about doing the creative design for their respective the universities? Um, I think Kentucky, in
4: the past, like I said, I got here about two years ago, and Kentucky has had three full-time designers in their graphic or in their athletic department for quite a while, which was, you know, far and away ahead of the curve in, in other athletic uh, departments. But but you're starting to see more and more of it. Um, every school, every major Division I school has at least one graphic designer in their, their department. And then you're starting to see, you, you know, it branching out a little bit more where, where the, there, there may be a, a general – uh, creative services person for the athletics. There may be one also in the, that department for football, maybe one for, for basketball where it's starting just to be more, even more specific than it is now. Um, even here at Kentucky, we do have, uh, right now we have a student that, that does a lot of stuff for just the football recruiting side of things, uh, that handles a lot of the graphics that that went up on soups Troops and that kind of stuff. And and then we have another creative person that just handles women's basketball outside of our area. So you're starting to see a a lot
1: more of that
4: around the nation.
1: And that's kind of what I was wondering. Like you see all of these, you know, used to be Alabama would have, you know, facilities there nearby, but all these other schools, you know, Kentucky just did the same thing in football, Oregon and all these places are, jumping on board, so and that was exactly what I was kind of getting at. It sounds like everybody is doing the same thing in creative design, design services, getting on board and, and kind of ramping it up if they hadn't done so already. Yeah, so exactly. It's, it's just like
4: that. So so now it's like wondering, okay, how, what can we do to, to keep setting us apart, you know, and, and and that's kind of things that we talk about as a staff and stuff is looking at new areas. Um, one trend that's been growing more and more are motion-type style graphics, um, GIFs, those kind of things on, on social media where there there just needs to be some movement, and so you're involving a little bit more skill set, involving a little bit more of the video department even on, on some of those things, and, and so it, the landscape is changing all the time, you know, I have no, no idea where it's going to be from five years, but I, I, I know it's going to be probably way different than it e- is even now, with just the way technology changes and and the the way that that trends seem to go.
1: Yeah, that's why I appreciate you coming on and just some light on it for us. That's, I was just curious, and I, and I just wanted to have you on and ask you, and I definitely appreciate you doing it. Another thing i got to ask, too, I'm not really throwing curveballs at you because I already told you I was going to ask you, but on your, you know, at Brandon Condit on Twitter, you know, said you were a BYU and Memphis alum. Uh, you said you were in Memphis the same time Cal was in Memphis. Uh, what was that like, and were you really surprised to see the reaction that we kind of thought he would get when he went back this past weekend? Yeah, I mean,
4: I, I was at Memphis for 12 years. Uh, Memphis was a, a very special place for me. It was where I, I went there for graduate school and then was hired on um, right after that, kind of started out in the communications department and and uh, did their publications and kind of just grew in that role. So I was there when, when Cal, uh, um, during his big run where, where we had like four straight Sweet 16s and three straight Elite 8s, you know, it was a a great time to be at Memphis and and uh, saw a lot of really good basketball so i i actually got to go back um this past weekend to the regional um, it was kind of a homecoming for myself as well having been gone for for the past two years but you know for the most part people there are, you know they're, they're really die hard basketball fans in, in Memphis and and, and it, they 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 love their Memphis Tigers and and cal kind of set a uh, you know, the bar really high when he, when he left. And so people are upset that they're not able to, to keep it at that level and maintain that, which I don't think anybody could. The, the expectations were, were just too high. But um, for the most part, you know, most of the people that, that still work there at in the Memphis Athletics that were there when Cal were there, you know, um, Uh, they they greeted him with open arms and we're we're happy to see him and everything. I mean, everybody moves on, and and time always uh, heals a lot of things, too. So I I think it was a pretty good reunion.
1: Exactly. Exactly. We we heard a lot about Gibson's Donuts with Cal making his uh, return to Memphis because that was one of his favorite spots when he was there uh, coaching the Tigers. What was your favorite spot? I mean, you're, you're in Memphis for over a decade, so what were your favorite spots Students, just frequent from a food standpoint. We love food. We have to always talk about food as as much as <laughs> on this show. Uh, so what was yeah, your, well, some of your favorite places?
4: <laughs> yeah, well, I, I love food, food as well. That was another big reason for being excited to go back to Memphis. Is Memphis has some great places to eat. I had the first place I had to hit was uh, Central Barbecue, which is in my mind is the best barbecue there in, in Memphis. Um, and then from there, I had to go to Gus's chicken, uh, fried chicken. Mm-hmm. It was kind of a, a spicy chicken, which I heard they may be coming to, to Lexington. They've been branching out a little bit. So that would be be great if they came to Lexington. Um, but went to Gibson's as well because Gibson's has some really good donuts. I actually brought some for the communications staff and, and left it for them when they, after the, the win against UCLA, they, they were pulling an all-nighter to get their, their notes done for the next day. So up by, by Gibsons to grab them some sugar to keep them up. Uh, but <laughs> you you could definitely spend, I mean, I wish I was there longer just to go to all the different places to, to eat. There, there are some good places
1: in Memphis. Definitely. definitely. Terry, I know you know about it. I've only been there once. And, TB, I know you are definitely familiar with all of them as well.
2: Yeah, Brandon. Uh, my mother is from Memphis and went to. Now this it's been a while. I'm not gonna say her age, but she graduated from Memphis State. So okay. we are pretty familiar with with uh, with Memphis. Uh, just couldn't work out to get down there for the uh, for the games, but love it. Love it as a city. Love it as a town. And and you're not lying when you talk about Memphis being a basketball city. I, I think yeah. it kind of gets overlooked a little bit. But but I remember those Tiger teams, of course, Penny Hardaway and some of those other teams. They, they've had really, really good teams even before Cal got there. Now, he left, you know, he elevated the program, obviously. But they've got a rich tradition of really good basketball.
4: Yeah, exactly. I mean, and, and I think they'll, they'll still get up there. I think there, there still is a lot of potential there, you know, with, with, with Tubby. I think it, it's just going to take some time, but but I think he's going to get the program going there and you know, Memphis is always still going to be a school that that I follow and, and I hope that they do well.
0: I got
1: one more. This is kind of a curveball, Brandon, because I didn't mention this, but it's you know, it's not not like it's going to shock you, but on, it does say <laughs> that you're an Idaho native on your Twitter profile, and I'm I'm like a big geography you know nut, love the states and capitals and cities and all that, but. I honestly could not come up with another city in Idaho outside of Boise. I'm from Kentucky, so I'm a long way away from that. But, you know, Boise, when you – well, I'm trying to get you, I guess, you know, when Think about Boise, Boise State football is on the map, Idaho potatoes, that's just a general tourist-type perception of the state. Give us some other nuggets about Idaho that we, we don't know about. So well, Idaho is if
4: you haven't been there it's a, a beautiful state where I grew up was kind of the southeast corner so it was kind of by Montana and uh, Wyoming um over there where uh, right next to the Rocky Mountains you could see the the Grand Teton Mountain Range from my house it was about 70 miles yeah. away but but you could see it uh, on clear days really easily um Yellowstone Park was was about a little over an hour's drive from, from my hometown. Um, so I, I grew up in a town called the, the name of it's actually sugar city, uh, which is a small town of about a thousand people. But most of Idaho's just farm towns, you know, potatoes. In fact, we got out of school every year in October for, for two weeks. You know, most people have fall break, but we had a potato harvest break where, cause there were so many kids working in, in the potato farms that they just let school out and everybody got out for two weeks and, and most kids would go go and work. Uh, I did it one year and realized it wasn't for me. Uh, I, I would go to sleep just seeing potatoes going across a conveyor belt. It was, it was very hard work. <laughs> but I still love I mean, I love Idaho potatoes. People always laugh at, at me, too, because when I go to restaurants, you know, I'm looking for Idaho potatoes. Like, five guys, they always list the farm where their potatoes are from. And most of those farms are, are usually, like, within 15 miles of, of where I grew up in Idaho. And, and so, I mean, it's a, it's just a great place. Not a lot around to do um, other than the nature things, and, and like if you like to hike and fish and stuff like that. So, um, kind of just kept migrating east as and as I've gone on. You know, I've been away now for about uh, twenty years now.
1: That's and that's what I was, you know, like, like I'm sure somebody from Idaho. If you ask them about Kentucky they would probably come up with the Kentucky Derby or maybe Kentucky basketball. And that's kind of how it was with Idaho, you know, you know, Boise uh, and the Idaho potatoes. And I, it was very, very vague. So, and the, my other question, you kind of touched on it, you know, based on where you grew up, you know, I didn't even think about the proximity to the Rockies and the Yellowstone and all that because, you know, here in Kentucky, a lot of people will go to Myrtle Beach for vacation or the Smoky Mountains and Gatlinburg and things like that. That was going to be my other question. I'm like, but like, do y'all go? Do they go to California for vacation? Or if you're in that northwestern, pit, you go to Canada, you know, and you hit the Rockies and the Yellowstone. But where? Does, where are some other places that are close? I guess is what I'm trying to ask. Uh,
4: well, like California was about uh, 14 hour drive to to L.A. Oh gosh! And, and so, so it's it, it is a, a trek to go anywhere. So. A lot of people, I mean, I, I spend my time, I, I went backpacking a lot in, in the, the summers and, and and stuff like that. Um, Salt Lake City is was not too far. It was about four hours from where I grew up. So, But
0: okay. it
4: was like a real treat to go. Like I, I grew up a big baseball fan, was a big Atlanta Braves fan because growing up all I could hey. watch uh, baseball games was TBS. So so grew up a, a Braves fan and, uh, in Idaho and – and the closest major league team was, at the time, was Seattle. And that was like a 15-hour drive. And then the Colorado Rockies came, and, and it was like, you know, still like a, a 12-hour drive. So those were my closest so, teams, and it was a big treat to, to go to any one of those. So, so now, like, I'm in, in having at least, you know, being a little over an hour away from
1: Cincinnati and,
4: and can watch my Braves play there, too.
1: We have to get you on again. I'm, I'm a Braves fan. I'm a TBS '80s kid. Dale Murphy was my guy, so we have to get you on it and talk yeah. more baseball in depth. I mean, that's that's right up my alley. Sorry, Terry, but you know, got a fellow Braves fan on <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, Dale Murphy was
4: was my, one of my favorites too. I and, and then my I have my youngest daughter. I have three kids. My youngest daughter, I got, finally got to pick the name, and, and so uh, I named her Maddox after. Greg
1: Maddox. Oh, cool, 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 yeah. I see also where it says you're big. You just mentioned baseball fan, a softball fanatic. And I got to ask you, because this this kind of guy, I guess, maybe national attention. I mean, the SEC is, is good in softball as well. And you got two top ten teams, Auburn and Florida. Did you see the exchange in the post game high five between the Auburn player and the Florida coach? And I, I got to get your thoughts on that little just up in the history of yeah
4: i i did a coworker actually pointed it out to me the the next day um just asking if i had seen it but but that was pretty crazy um ending to it and and that it was all on on tv you know i don't think either one of them was probably really thinking at the, at the time and it probably didn't mean as much as the other one maybe maybe took it but um it, it's it's hard to really judge what what the intentions
1: were. And and I know they said that the young lady who had some sisters, the young lady for Auburn had some sisters that played for this coach in Florida and they have been dismissed, so there's some bad blood. I'm just, do you even see situations where it gets that real in softball? I know it's intense and it's competitive, but. You know, you know, dust ups and fits the cups and especially between a player and a coach and all that that is that pretty rare. I hadn't seen anything
4: like it. I I've, I've never seen anything like that. I mean usually everybody's a, you know, has pretty good sportsmanship and so even if you don't necessarily like a person, I mean there's a lot, a lot of a lot of tips and stuff that go on, you know, even with with coaches and stuff like that, but but most people are or put on a good face in those types of situations. So I think that was a really rare case that they probably wish they they would have taken back.
1: Yeah, yeah, I agree with you. But definitely to get your thoughts on it, and I appreciate you coming on, talking about creative services. That's creative director for GoCats Design, talking a little Memphis with us, talking from Idaho with us have to get you on to talk Braves in the future and, you know, the, the beautiful opening of SunTrust Park. we we'll have to talk about that as well later on in the summer at some point, but thank you so much for taking time out here to even to join us this evening, Brandon. We really, really appreciate it. Yeah,
4: definitely. I I really appreciate you guys having me on. It was uh, a pleasure and wish the best to, to both of you. Thank you very much, Brandon. Thank you so much.
2: Thank
4: you so
1: much. Have a good right. evening,
4: Brad.
1: You too. That is Brandon Colton. Creative Services Creative Directive for GoCast Design, and exactly what I just wanted to have him on and drop some knowledge because I don't don't think a lot of people know about everything that goes into that. Like, you you see it on media guides and stuff. We see it when we get to cover games. Fans see it, but we don't really pay attention to what's involved, and there's a lot to it.
2: Yeah, and 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 really, um, you know, I've had the uh, good fortune of being able to get the media guides, regular season media guides, last couple seasons, and the postseason guides uh, this year. And and I, I think when you go to Rupp and you get all that stuff, and you think, oh, this is pretty okay, and you you become, become kind of numb to it a little bit. But then you see what they do in comparison to other schools, and you're like, oh, okay, this is this is. <laughs>
3: These are really,
2: really nice, uh, and I'm not talking about you know the Jacksonville States, and now I'm talking about against like Michigan, and and even Louisville. Uh, it's very comprehensive, the information they provide, and it's, it's 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 great. It really does make UK stand out, and, and again, it's it's uniform. If you follow any of the uh, different team accounts from the UK Athletics main account to the men's basketball, women's basketball, it, there's a uniformity. Uh, there's a little bit of difference as well. But you know, hey, that graphic is, is, a, is a U.K., is a Kentucky-themed uh, graphic. So definitely uh, enjoyed having that conversation. Are you there?
1: Yeah. I uh, hit the mute button. I'm sorry. I, said, um, I was just saying that to go along with what you were saying, it's not something that's just thrown together. Uh, and Brandon said it in his comments. He left Memphis and brought the staff some Gibsons because they were pulling an all-nighter. So you can tell that there's a lot of pride in what they do, a lot of detail. It's not something they just have, you know, sloppy thrown together to get it done. It's, it's a lot that goes into it. So, like you said, we appreciate him coming on. Um have to talk some brave talk again to, to come back, the Oreo stuff that you'll be bringing throughout the summer. So we'll have to we'll look forward to that in the coming months at some point. We'll take us a, a quick break right now. Uh, hopefully try to get Jeff Picora on about 10, 15 minutes or so. Uh, 845-277-9373, of course, is the number if you want to give us a call. any Hardy, Teddy Brown here. Recapping the basketball season, talking creative design, my talks with football, hopefully with Jeff Picoro. Lots of stuff, lots of fun. Hope you enjoy the show. We'll be right back in just a couple of minutes. Stay right with us here on Cast Off C'est
5: bon ce que tu fais.
1: Vinnie Hardy, Terry Brown, Brown and Hardy Radio Network, blogtalkradio.com. Follow both of us on Twitter at Vinnie Hardy, at T Brown underscore 80. <clears throat> Recap a little bit of the game seventy five seventy three 73 lost to North Carolina. Uh, like we said, they made one more play than the UK did. Got Tiffy Hat, to Luke May uh, hitting the jumper at the end. Uh, We hit a little bit on the national media, you know, throwing shade, as is always the case. Um, And this will kind of just be a short segment. We'll try to difficult about 10, 12 minutes. Then you talked about where, you know, UK fans have gone too far with this John Higgins stuff. The, the the beef was real, the gripes were real, and you know how we are. We don't talk even even talk about officiating a lot on the show because you know you got to play through it. It is what it is, and ultimately that's what Kentucky did. But this was pretty egregiously bad, especially in the first half. Um, <laughs> I saw Anthony Wyattman tweeting. Uh, a quote from Tom Leach on the broadcast, and he said, "My man Tom Leach isn't happy." Uh, he said something to the effect of, "You know Malik Monk gets knocked down uh, and no call is about the same guy." So <laughs> Tom had already kind of referenced it on the broadcast, you know, as he's calling the game, as which is going right along with what we're all seeing. Um, our guy Brian Eldridge. Uh, he's kinda like us. he said, I don't you know, I saw one of his tweets, I don't tweet about this a whole whole lot. But, you know, the officiating is it's bad, it's terrible. Uh, you saw national media members of the media tweeting in, I saw Peter Burns, ABC network, you know, something to the face I'm not sure what game the refs are watching. So you know, it it was very, very bad and to tell you, it was fortunate to be down five. They had to play through all the foul trouble with Monk and Bam and Fox on the bench of foul trouble and Humphreys and Mulder and Briscoe and Hawkins out there with a lot of you typically wouldn't have on the court. They ultimately played through it, came out the second half strong up
6: five late
1: games. Uh, with a, with a chance to extend it. And, you know, I, I tweet at the moment, I have to give credit to Jackson and Pixis for the shots that they hit to cut it to one, and that it was a catalyst for the run that Carolina went on to retake the lead. But it's all right to be upset about officiating, but to carry it to the list that we've seen it get carried to, it, it's, just, it's just out of bounds. Um we all know how passionate we are as a fan base, and that one or two percent is extra passionate anyway that gets the label to crazy fans, that makes everybody look that way. Now when you add to it something like this, that just gives all the people that want to say you Kentucky fans are crazy and insane and lunatics and all this, that, and the other, that just fuels the fire and puts it up on a for them uh, you know, Kentucky basketball, I hope that football, they always kinda of lump it together. I would always say we don't have a Harvey updike. There are no trees that have been poisoned at the University of Wolf. Well this thing was better. When you when you go go in on his Facebook for his business making death threats and all that, this that's you know, before this the most embarrassing thing to me was the fight at the Dallas Center with Kentucky and Louisville, and that was funny. It was silly for those two us guys to get into it, but that was funny. Oh, Kentucky fans are crazy. Louisville fans are crazy. All oh, that insane robbery, yada yada yada. And that was nothing when you compare what Upback did to the too much Corner trees at all. And now this stuff with Higgins, it just it just paints a big black eye that wasn't necessary. Uh, he was bad in the first half, but it, it, there's no need for all this other stuff that we've seen uh, days later. Yeah, and it, 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 we know,
2: here's here's the, the aspect that I think people need to keep in mind of, and I've talked to Louisville folks. Uh, okay, there's a lot of Kentucky fans. Uh, they're just That's why it's the Big Blue Nation. And it seems like almost every one of those fans is on social media. And, and so all it takes is, you know, I don't know the exact number, it takes a few to really make us all look bad instead of just saying, those nut jobs are crazy, how are they focusing on their own life, it now becomes all Kentucky fans. And, and there's folks right. that, that are just too too excited in the media to, to push up that narrative. When yeah. uh, you said there are, there are Harvey, Harvey Updike, And, and there, one thing, I, you know, I'm not trying to be that guy, but do you remember, maybe we should ask Sasha Kalea-Jones about people threatening lives. If you remember, he got tweeted yeah. a picture of a gun because of the yeah. L's down pose. So, so, okay, at this point, we all kind of live in glass houses because with a quick Google search, I, I could find you examples of every fan base going too far. That being said, I also don't feel like the good fans – now, I did tweet out this is a bad look for Kentucky fans. But I'm not apologizing for it because I didn't do it. I wouldn't even apologize for it if, if if Big Miss had gotten on Facebook and was saying some bad stuff. I didn't do it. I don't think we need to answer for it. We just need to say the majority of fans are not. We're not cool with this. Um, it, it's, it's a really bad look. Officiating is whatever you know we still had the opportunity to win that game I'm not I don't get too hung up on the officiating although yeah. it, there were some egregious non-calls I mean De'Aaron Fox yeah. at the end of the half I, I mean and I'm seeing people that usually aren't on the referee bashing bandwagon get on that bandwagon that's what kind of raises my attention a little bit
3: but right. you,
2: you have to you have to play through it at some point
0: uh, but but
2: but fans cannot be crazy. You you cannot go after someone's fa- family,
0: his, his business,
2: his livelihood over a game. And, and that's where we are uh, over a game. Uh, again, I don't think it was even just a small small percentage of Kentucky fans. But now we have to have a you know we will hear about this as the tournament continues and into the off season. About Kentucky fans taking taking things too serious. That is going to be the article we'll see from CBS Sports. You know how they typically over the summer break they have you know coaches bad mouth and Cal and there's always something that they kind of throw out there to really kind of throw dirt on Kentucky. And this will be that. Uh, I will put money on at some point over this off season we will see an article or a series on fan behavior and we're going to look at. They're going to talk about this Kentucky thing. You know, not uh, Marcus the smart in uh, his fan interaction, not those kinds of things, but it, this will be the focal point. And, and that's where it's, it's really shameful.
1: Yeah, because we're the most recent fan base to, to do that, one of Kentucky's fans. Like you said, more Kentucky fans anyway. So it's gonna get magnified even more and right now we we don't deny that all these others happen, but right now, with everybody's short attention span, ours is the most recent case of stuff getting out of line, so we going we gotta take all the finger pointing for the few that did that and like you said, glass houses, but that's that's where we are unfortunately. Um and until it'll you know, everybody moves on to something else. But um, I'm with you. The the refereeing was uh, you know when you kept seeing all these other people talking about it, and you're like, oh yeah, it is, it is kind of bad. The goal tend on Bam was one that was, you know, it was like it was it falling off of the cylinder. There was one call that I even we Donny talking like got in the rebound, got hit in the face, and it was almost another egregious non-call. A ref that wasn't in the area had to like come all the way across the court. To make that call And I'm like wow You know he had to come all the way out of his area To make the call of him getting hit in the face and knocked down So it, it was a, a rough first half And and it kind of leaked Like when we had him on the show You ask him You know did he come close to You know saying some words he shouldn't say uh, I think it was for Like the Bluegrass Miracle When LSU beat Kentucky With Nick Saban I think that's what it was And you end up saying something like, "Well, if you're you're not going to use some bad words in that situation on the air, Tom, you're not going to. And so as professional as he is, you know, he was still letting it be known that this guy is is not having a good day on the air and even on his show on the past couple of days. But that's still not saying everybody just go and, and blast his Facebook and his diss and put that stuff out there. But, like you said, when everybody, people who normally don't say a word about it are, are really chirping about it, then you know it's got to be made. Well, and here's the thing about
2: officials, and you can look at uh, different uh, – you, you can be a very good official, but for whatever reason – you you carry you're carrying some baggage into the game like like Joey Crawford
3: in the NBA
2: who who famously you know threw Tim Duncan out for uh laughing on the bench essentially and was still allowed to do uh you know still allowed to do uh Spurs games i think when you look at higgins and i think he of the of the six losses in the tournament, I think he's officiated three of them. I, I believe that's what I saw. And, and games just in general that he officiates, our, our winning percentage goes, you know, it's usually 70-plus percent all-time on average to all of a sudden in the 40% range. That's an issue. And, you know, there's other officials out there. I think Roger Ayers, Cal, has gotten – 12 or 13 technical files and he's Given eight I mean that Look I'm not saying officials get biased But you can just look and say what Is there's something going on So I think that's something they need to look at I think we should have full time Officials Uh, I think that's something we need to go To I think there needs to be Some some standardization Uh, I don't think you should Be able to uh, You know do as many games as you want. There should be structure uh, to that. Uh, I think that with college basketball and the money, it's gym, uh, ger- uh, generating. I'll get it out eventually. Uh, I think it's 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 time to become more uniform on the officials and and their expectations. And we should be able to ask officials questions. I think that that's we're past that that point of. The officials say, you know, they make their calls and they go about their business. There needs to be a little bit more of accountability. I don't say they need to do full press conferences, but there need to be one pool reporter that gets to talk to the officials, particularly after tournament games.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, as the points have been made, everybody else does. The, the coaches do. The, You know, when you were there in Indy, you know, for the first weekend, after the coaches speak, or sometimes before the coaches speak, they open it up to the student-athlete, and they speak. And the kid from Vanderbilt who committed a foul with Vanderbilt leading Northwestern, he's up there having to talk about it in the post-game press conference. Uh, Fisher Davis. So, I mean, feeling bad, The you know, feel like he caught his team the game with a mental error of, uh, and he's up there facing the media. So you know, officials, you know, are not infallible or so much holier them down that they shouldn't have to have some more accountability than they do have.
2: Yeah, and I think we'll see that going forward, uh, hopefully. Uh, but going back to this season, I mean, this season, uh, it was very, very good. And that's okay to have a very good season. It really is. Uh,
0: mm-hmm.
2: the, I, I don't take Final Fours for granted. I, I think I, I'm kind of the mind of, yeah, we should at least get SEC hardware every year, and we've done that. You know, we, we, we even though it was a little rocky with a couple losses that, you know, we probably shouldn't have had some close games, but we still run the SEC. And as we see uh, in the tournament, not as bad as we thought. Yeah, uh, SEC, You know And I as We talked about this a little bit with, with James last week but When you see And I'm not really one much for, for conference SEC SEC but when You've just had a conference that has been Just so maligned For so long perform the conference that Folks were saying was the best ever I think that's something to be said. Look, I know we got put out by an ACC team. I get it. But the weird thing to this conference realignment is now you've got ACC folks kind of laying claim to the Louisville's 2013 title and Syracuse's titles. No, those don't count, okay? You can't just start pulling in everything to bolster up your argument. And the SEC has been competitive. It was just a couple of years ago we had two teams in the Final Four. My thing is this. I've tweeted out, I've talked about it. Look, when you look at college basketball, it fluctuates. One, one year, this conference is a little bit deeper uh, than another conference. But for the most part, you have one, two, maybe three really, really good teams that can contend for a championship. Then you get about four or so kind of middle-of-the-pack team that, you know, if everything goes right, they can beat anybody. And then you've got just your four or five teams at the bottom that are absolutely dreadful. And I think you see that when you look at all the different conferences. I think it's just because the SEC is so good almost in everything else, kind of top to bottom, I think men's basketball kind of gets overlooked and underappreciated. They're really, really good teams. And we see that with South Carolina, with Florida, knocking off good teams. And, and even uh, Kentucky's run. You know, Vanderbilt should have won. Arkansas was right there with, with North Carolina. So uh, I expect at media days uh, in the fall, SEC basketball media days, I think that there's going to be a little bit more chest puffing, that we're not as bad as you think, and we're getting better. Um, I I said to some Louisville folks, I said, you know, when they talked about the stretch that Louisville had to play in the ACC, get it, it's tough. But I said once you get into conference, you're just beating up on each other. And if if it takes if one team is overinflated, like you know, uh, like Duke, I will say this year, where we had a very high appreciation for them. And if you know a three and ten uh, Miami beats them, then all of a sudden we say Miami's good, <laughs> right? Even yeah. though they're well, hovering okay. around five hundred and then Louisville beats them, you say, whoa, wait a minute, hey, Louisville just beat the team to beat Duke. Well, if they're all crappy teams, <laughs> and I'm not saying that Louisville's crappy or anything like that, but we get a lot of that, and this is the argument that people make with SEC football is, you know, we watched the LSU-Alabama game that was 9-6. to six. People say, you know, in the abstract, how do we know that that's good football? You know, we know Alabama won the championship, but how do we know Auburn beating Ole Miss is a, is a good win? The same thing with ACC basketball. We don't really know. When you are becoming the team you're going to become in basketball, it's February and March when you're not playing other teams. That You know, the, the team that Kentucky was that lost at Louisville is not the same team at the end of the year. So as yeah. teams become who they're going to be, all they've been doing is beating up on conference teams but if you tell me this conference is great and every win is so much this, that, and the other, and then when they play somebody else, and here's the thing about the ACC, a lot of those games weren't even close. I mean, Xavier just – they beat Tatar. Who did Xavier beat? Florida that, that State. That wasn't
1: UVA, was it? State. Florida, Florida State. State. Yeah.
2: And, and, and Florida Florida just destroyed beat Florida,
1: uh, Virginia. Virginia.
2: They weren't even particularly close. I mean, it it wasn't a last-second shot that put Louisville out of a tournament. I mean, and and again, North Carolina didn't look great against against, uh, Arkansas. So, you know, people – and here's the other argument that they say. Well, you can't base what a a conference is or a coach or a team just off the – Uh, Single elimination tournament And then I say Wait a minute That's exactly what you folks do When you talk about Coach Cal I mean this is his 430 win season You know Regular season wins He's right there Conference championships He's right there But because he doesn't Win the uh, championship That's a disappointing season So it's a lot of this circular reasoning that we kind of run into that just blows my mind sometimes.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. We'll take another quick break and hopefully we'll come back with Jeff Acora on to talk a little bit about, uh, UK spring practice and a little bit of baseball because he also, you know, covers the reds for red lives and, uh Oh, that. I mean, this man does everything, as you already know. But hopefully, we can have him on our show for just a few minutes. So, once again, you're just, uh, watching, listening to uh, Cat Talk Wednesday, Benny Hardy and Jay Brown, Ground and Hardy Radio Network, blogtalkradio.com. dot com. Hopefully, we'll be well. Hopefully, we'll be back with Jeff Piccolo. Stay right with us. We'll be right back.
5: I'ma always try. It's worth the sacrifice.
1: We are honored to be joined by our second guest this evening, former wild receiver for our beloved UK Wildcats. You can hear him now on the UK Sports Network in football season with Tom Leach, as well as for the Reds fans in our state. He is Reds Live, the pregame show, talking about Cincinnati Reds. He's everywhere. We are talking about none other than Mr. Jeff McCorro himself. Jeff, thank you so much for taking the time to join us. How are you doing?
6: I'm doing great, guys. Anytime.
1: We sure appreciate it. I got to ask you right now. I mean, you know, March Madness just wrapped up. Opening day is right there. Spring practice is coming. What is your favorite time of the year, sports year, as a, as a broadcaster?
6: The favorite time of the year for me is uh, kind of when baseball's wrapping up and football starting. So the end of summer, start of fall to me. <laughs> Because it's fun to do baseball and football back-to-back. That's definitely,
1: definitely true. And on the football note, I'm sure you probably heard this thousands of times, but your chuckle at Kentucky beat Louisville on air was just (laughs) – it was classic. It was classic.
6: You know, there – there wasn't anything else I could add to that, you know? It was just, it was, <laughs> yeah, it was perfect. <laughs> I, mean, I don't know what else to say.
1: Tongue leaps left the excitement. He got it! And then you just, <laughs> oh, that's so great,
0: Jeff.
1: <laughs> I'm glad you liked it. <laughs> yes, sir. Yes, sir. So i got to ask you, of course, I hit, hit a little baseball and stuff with you as well, but, The spring game coming up on Friday, April 14th at Commonwealth. I'm going to assume you're going to be
6: doing a baseball game at that time, right? Doing a red game. Yeah, unfortunately I am doing baseball, so I'll miss the game. But uh, practice has been a lot of fun so far. Who's jumping out to you? Or if if you see maybe somebody kind of poised for a breakout season uh, that we might not see coming this year? Oh, well, you're going to see this one coming. Denzel Ware has been unblockable on the defensive line. Darius West uh, will be back, you know, back there in the backfield. Looks very good defensively. Uh, uh, Gunnar Hoke, the quarterback, looks really good. Um, he's, you know, he went through the year last year, red He's bigger. He's stronger. Steven Johnson has been doing great. He's added about 15 pounds. Um, you know, so there's, there's, those are some key names that we sh- shouldn't forget. Look, they, the funnest battle so far has been, in my opinion, uh, quarterback has been really, really good. And, and you know, if you're going to succeed in, in, the, in the Power Five conference, you've got to have a great quarterback. And as you saw last year, you darn well better have a backup quarterback. So, you know, Drew is getting stronger and, and, and better every day. Uh, Steven Johnson is bigger and stronger than he was a year ago. And Gunnar Hoke has been, you know, really, really good. So they got three guys that are really playing well at that position. I think you've got some receivers that are catching the ball well. But uh, to me, quarterback is maybe the key position so far for this team. Uh, really, um, Sorry, former U.K. wideout Jeff DeCoro,
1: a- U.K. Sports Network as well. Oh, um, Henning, just take us through your thoughts with the way the season started with the 0-2 to the winning 7 out of 10 to get to the bowl game. When coming into the year, we were trying to to pop through that five-win ceiling.
6: Yeah. Well, I I tell you what, that's kind of easy. Drew got hurt, and when Drew got hurt, they really had to change what they were going to do, and they decided, you know what? we got a pretty good, you know, we got a pretty good trio of backs. Let's just run the football. Let's just try to shorten games because they really didn't think that they could, you know, score 40 points a game without Drew Barker. They didn't know what they had in Steven Johnson. He's a guy from from the junior college ranks. And, um, you know, they were able to run the football and really run it against anybody. I mean, Tennessee was a really good team. Put over 600 yards offense against Tennessee. They lost the game, but still 600 yards of offense almost 400 yards running the football against a really good football team. So I think that that, to me, was the difference. When Steven came in um, and you saw him grow, you know, he had the running backs that, uh, you know, could take a lot of pressure off of him by running the football. You're shortening the game a little bit. And as he got more comfortable at quarterback, then they were able to start doing more stuff, throwing the football and, and doing more play action passes. And I really think the offense just looked like it got comfortable. And um, and then by running the ball as much as they didn't and as effectively as they did, that then let the defense get a rest. And when the defense wasn't on the field, you know, for 70, 80, 90 stats a game, the defense got better. So by running the football and changing their offense last year, I think that helped the entire football team. And, sorry, Jeff,
2: we've talked about that before that Vinny knows, and I hate to cut you off, Vinny, I'm sorry, but if you're going to be no, a, a football team, you, you've you got to have an identity. You've got to say, when things yeah. are going bad, what can we do? And, and we saw right. that exactly like you were saying. We're going to ground and pound. For me, I look at that Missouri game, and I've been watching Kentucky football for a while. I don't remember a time we just pounded the rock like we did that day in mm-hmm. Columbia, and you saw that kind of carry over, even at the Tennessee game, uh, they, they kind of said, this is what we're going to do, this is our identity, and I think that's part of that turnaround. I agree with you.
1: I,
6: and I think that's the identity that Coach Stoops wanted to find with the team, because that's one thing I think you have to have, and you, me- you, you said it. You've got to have an identity, and if his identity is going to be a, a hard-nosed coach with a hard-nosed team, get around the football I think Benny Snell really added a dimension of toughness to this team. Boom gave them, you know, the, obviously the home run threat, the breakaway. But um, Benny really became uh, a, a stud, a star, if you will, for this team. So, uh, you know, I think that that's going to continue for them next year too. How do going to, and you go and view Jeff as a former player and,
1: of course, looking and covering the, the team now in practice, what are the differences – what are the similarities between the practices in the spring and then the practices in the summer getting leading up to the season opener?
6: Well, you're getting a lot more teaching now. you got a lot of guys who were redshirted last year. Uh, you know, when, when you're in the fall, you've got to get a set of guys ready to play. You know, you've got to, you've got to figure out who your two-deep is. You've got to get those guys ready to play. But in the spring, you can start bringing in a lot of these redshirt guys and, and freshman guys and get them with the ones. And give them that, uh, that uh, you know, they, they don't get playing on the scout team and, and, and they don't get the speed of the game as much. So I, I think you get a lot more learning done in spring practice. Once you get to the summer and, and you know, three, four, five weeks before the season starts, you had better be ready. You know, you've got to have guys already in the back of your mind who's going to play, and you just got to get those guys ready.
1: And speaking of season openers, we all know what happened last year in the season opener. And, you know, the, the reversal of fortunes, you know, being up big and then losing the lead. With right. Kentucky, Kentucky turning things around, winning 7 of 10, getting to a bowl game, and, you know, having reason to be proud of what they just accomplished, it This it, it might sound crazy. Is it a good thing to have a revenge game Start, you know, hanging over their head going into this season to maybe keep them from getting a little too cocky when you know you got to go up against a team that came to Lexington and beat you the previous year? Is
6: it, is, would this kind of be a good thing
1: going forward?
6: You know, I, I, I think what it does is it teaches them a lesson because I think they got real – what am I looking for? Uh, maybe even a little cocky, you know? they They got that lead. And uh, they kind of relaxed a little bit, and you can't do that. It doesn't matter who you're playing. And I'm not a big guy about revenge games and things like that. I think you you remember things in the back of your your mind, what happened. But, uh, you know, to me, you know, you've got – the good thing with this team is you've got a lot of guys coming back that were there, so they're going to remember. But I think more than than the revenge factor, they're going to remember what it takes to win a game and and really – So you keep, you keep the foot down. You, you, you really, you try to bury the team. You don't let them stay in the game. I think they were a one, basically about one play away last year in that, uh, in that game against, um, you know, the opening game of really putting that game away. And, and unfortunately, you know, they got the sack, they got the intercept and then all of a sudden everything just started going downhill in a hurry. But, um, uh, you know, I, I think that what, what happened is this team gets got hungry. They got to go to a bowl game. They saw what that was like, and I think that once you get a taste of that, you can't get enough of it, man.
1: Awesome. And of course, we're
6: definitely excited to see see the way they come out.
1: The optimism is, is of course there. Um, I I got to switch to a little basketball and a little baseball with you while we do have you on. Uh, sure. Know that you do you still do work with Dayton? I know you did some work with the Dayton Flyers as well. Are you still doing that too, or with who?
6: With the Dayton Flyers, in Oh yeah, yeah. I still do. I, I yes, I still do basketball for them. Um, uh, it's it's you know I I think they had a
0: fantastic
6: coach. And I thought that was a great move uh, going to Indiana for Archie Miller. I think that's yeah. uh, I think he's going to be a, a fantastic coach there and unfortunately for wildcat fans Indiana's not going to be down long because this guy can really really coach he He's just like his brother um, in the fact that uh, he's going to be a uh, very hard nosed in Indiana. you're going to see them you're going to see them get up and down the floor if you watch dayton they're a very disciplined team uh they're a really good defensive team and uh, you know he knows this area he knows the midwest he's been He's been recruiting that at Dayton. And I think now it will be even easier for him to get guys to go to Indiana. Uh, so I really think that Indiana is going to be a really good team in the in the very near future with Archie there. He's, I think that was a great fit for him.
1: Talking with UK Sports Network's Jeff Pecorro. And, Jeff, you're a cosmic professional, as we know, but had Dayton gotten past Wichita State, would you've been torn, or how would you've been when they played UK in that second
6: round game of the tournament? Come on, are you kidding me? <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I, I, you know, I do Atlantic 10 games, and and that's great. But uh, you know, Kentucky's my alma mater, man, and <laughs> I would have, uh, wouldn't have been any problem. And and I think that RT and 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 all the guys there at uh, Dayton would have understand that uh, you know, I would have cheered for. The cap.
1: <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, switching it to baseball because you're fixing to jump into 162 yep. with the Cincinnati Reds. You probably been asked this several times as well. But what is your your favorite National League and American League cities? Your favorite National League and American League venues?
6: Well. Wow, uh, the San Francisco's ballpark, the Giants' ballpark, AT&T, is ridiculous. I mean, that's just it's, – it's hands down the best ballpark in, in the major leagues. It's just awesome. You're right on the ocean. You know, you can – you know, if you're sitting in the booth, you can see Alcatraz out there. You see, you see battleships floating by and stuff. I mean, it's really cool. Uh, Denver is an awesome city to travel to, um, and that's a neat ballpark there at Coors Field. San Diego is a, is a fantastic city and a, and a great ballpark. So that's the that's probably the best in the National League. Maybe the, the other great ballpark in the National League is actually Pittsburgh. Um, yeah. they got a really cool ballpark there, man. It's, it's great to watch games there in Pittsburgh. In the American League, um, you know, we don't go there as much. I, we go a lot to Cleveland. I like Cleveland's ballpark. Yeah. Um, it, it's, it's really a big place. There's a lot of great places. There's not a really a bad seat in the house. I like that. Um, Texas' ballpark in Arlington is really a cool ballpark, although
0: it's yeah.
6: it's the hottest place I've ever been in my life, man it's one hundred and twenty five <laughs> degrees on the field. I mean, I'm standing there talking and, and the heat's coming from the ground, not from the sun. It's hotter on the you know the your feet than it is on the top of your head. I remember I was sitting there with uh, with Dusty Baker and we're sitting on the bench talking. Before the game and I was like dang Dusty my feet are on fire and he goes yeah He goes I put cabbage cabbage In my hat to cool your head You put water on cabbage you put it in your hat <laughs> And he said you got to stand And then you got to stand on ice in the dugout Because it, it's so hot it, it's amazing hmm. But they're building a new place there in Arlington That's going to have a roof on it so But uh, Arlington's ballpark is pretty cool Seattle's is kind of cool too so There's a lot of great ballparks man.
1: As far as the red this year and like the Red fans that thinks with their heart and Red fans that thinks with their head, what are the expectations? And is the relief pitching gonna be any better this year than last year? What are you expecting from the Reds?
6: Yeah, I think they're gonna be better because I think you know pitching wise they're they're healthier. You know, and, and as I say that, their two best starters, Homer Bailey and Anthony Stefani, are going to start the season on the DL. But the, 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 the better part is their bullpen is a lot better. And last year, especially in that first month or two of the season, we probably lost 15 games. When I say we, I mean the Reds. They probably lost 15, 20 games where they had the lead going into the eighth inning. And their bullpen was just horrible. And, um, they, you know, they got, to, they got some arms that are going to be really good there. Goose uh, um, Cody Reed is going to pitch out of the bullpen. Robert Stevenson is going to pitch out of the bullpen. Um, so, I mean, they're, they're going to have some depth there. They're going to start the season with nine guys in the bullpen for the first week of the year. So it's going to be interesting to see how they get all those guys to at bats. But, uh, I mean, all those guys time throwing the ball. But um, they're, they're, they're going to be better pitching. So that said, I still think that the best scenario is them is about 500. You know, I think they can win 75 to 80 games. Anything more than that would be a miracle. I don't think they, they're going to be better than they were last year. They can hit. They can run. Perazas, now your second baseman, he can really run. So having him and Billy Hamilton top of the lineup in front of Joey and Adam Duvall, I mean, man, those those four guys are the top of your order. They can run and they can really hit. So it's they're going to score runs. It's, you know, they're going to win a lot of games like they did back in the 70s and stuff. They're going to score five, six runs a game. As can they hold the other team under, you know, five runs a game, I think. Um, of
1: course, I'm a, I'm a Braves fan, just being totally honest. I'm, I'm from South Kentucky, yep. so I, I lean kind of southern with my, my MLB team.
6: Um, Man, that's all right. I like Atlanta's team. I really They put together a nice team. I mean, they got Matt Kemp there. They got Brandon Phillips they brought over. They got a great, you know, Freddie Freeman is, a, is an all-star first baseman. They got Nick Markakis in the outfield. They brought in R.A. Dickey and Bartolo Colon. I mean, if they can get 40 wins in their top three pitchers, I, I, Atlanta's not going to be as bad as everybody thinks. They're going to be able to score some runs too. And like I said, if if Dickey and Colon can win about 12 games, 10 to 12 games apiece, they're not going to be that bad. If if
1: those guys can combine to to reach either Bartolo's or R.A.'s age, then yeah, we'll be we'll be doing all right. <laughs> <laughs>
6: <laughs> yeah, those two combined to, what, 82 years old, I think, <laughs> yeah. and 40. It's crazy.
1: As it is. It really <laughs> is. And was, that's what I was asking. You know, with Brandon Phillips coming to Atlanta, I was going to ask about the Red second baseman, you know, and you kind of touched on the way that kid is looking now that Brandon, who's been there forever, came back to his native Atlanta.
6: Yeah, I, I like Jose Peraza. Dilson Herrera is the other guy that they want that, that's who they traded Jay Bruce to the Mets for, and they got Dilson Herrera. His position is second base. Peraza is more of a shortstop, and I think that what they're going to do after this season and probably sometime this year when when a shortstop gets hurt somewhere, they're going to get Zach Kozart. And in the middle of the infield for the Reds is going to be Peraza at shortstop and Dilson Herrera at second base. Uh, Herrera can really hit. He's had a little bit of a sore shoulder this spring, so he hasn't played as much, so he's going to start the season – in the minors because you just haven't got enough of bats, but he's got a really slick glove, but Peraza can run. He's one, he's the second fastest guy on the team behind Billy. He, so he's, he's a guy that is going to hit about 17, 18 home runs. He's going to steal 25 bases. He's going to hit close to 300. Um, And, and, you know, he's, he's got great back control. So at the top of the lineup is going to be a lot of fun to watch those guys. TB,
1: I've been rambling a little bit. and I cut you off from asking Jeff some questions, man? <laughs> No, I'm
2: enjoying the the baseball talk. Uh,
3: <laughs> to be honest with you, <laughs> and
6: he, he's an Orioles fan, by the way, Jeff. So I mean, oh, another know. great ballpark. I, I love Baltimore is a, a great park to go to. They got great food there. <laughs> mm. that, well, that, that's deal. on my list to, to check out this this summer. Cool place, man. But
1: Jeff, man, we just honored to have you on, and like I said, in the email, uh, I think I was at the, the I covered the game at UT down in the stadium, I saw you talking to Tom Hart or something like that, and I just, oh am like, Jeff the I didn't come up and say hi. One of these times, I'm going to meet you and, and say hello, but I really appreciate you coming on the show for a person that you've never met before, and you still took the time to do it. I really
6: appreciate it. Anytime. You guys got my number now, so whenever you need it, just give me a shout, all right? All right. all right. Thank you, thank you so sir. much. All right, fellas. Be good. All right. That is Jeff Piccolo.
1: See on Red Live at Foxwood Sports Ohio, UK Sports Network, Dayton Flyers. So this man is doing it all. Former UK wide receiver, too, uh, by the way. And just took time out his evening to even hop on the show and, and give us a little bit of, of uh, a dose the spring game, some knowledge about what cats are looking good in practice, preview the Reds, talking a little Archie Miller going to Bloomington, and we hit a lot of stuff and uh, that was great, so we really appreciate Jeff coming on as well Oh yeah, it's always good I just
2: uh, I don't think people understand the kind of work, even the color commentators have to put in until you walk by and you see where, where Tom and Jeff are doing football or where Tom and Mike Pratt are doing basketball and there's, they've got so many notes and they, they're just so into it. Uh, it's a lot more goes into it than, than you, than you think. Yeah,
1: definitely. <clears throat> I'm looking forward to going up there this Friday. Well, the 14th, me and the boys are going to right run up there to the spring game and, and check that out on a Friday night. So looking forward to that. And it's, it's crazy that it's just a couple weeks away. It's just just insane. So we'll go back and and keep talking some more some more basketball like we are. You mentioned the McDonald's All American Game TV that's uh, already on. Um, we got Spurs and Warriors, and looks like the full complement of players from both teams are going to be on the court. So that'll be cool. Um, I missed it. it, was, it was okay. Oh, and and this whole thing, since you know you always like to say that we're old. I don't. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't say it. I don't. I mean, it is what it is. You're you're a few months older than me, so I'll just leave it at that. Because you know, you talking about all those all those people in your class that turned forty before you, and now you're going to turn forty before me. So that it is what it is. But where do you come out on on the rest? on the the guys not playing, you know, we've seen it for several years, but it's really kind of blowing up now. And then my dude James Harden kind of throwing shade about the guys who (laughs) aren't playing all their games. And, you know, Russell Westbrook is not going to come out of the game for anything, Harden isn't either. Uh, Where are you at on the rest? Uh, Is it a new school kind of thing, just kind of like – All the old guys couldn't wrap their heads around LeBron's decision. Now you got Carl Malone coming out, you know, taking shots. Are all the old guys going to come out now with this rest and being, where do you come out on it? Well, here's the, here's
2: the, the, the the strange thing is when you think about the rest, I I don't, I don't mind it. Uh, I think I would, kind of minded a little bit I guess if I was actually going to a lot of games expecting to see someone play but we've got a lot more franchises than we have in the 80s which means a lot more travel time and you've got teams you know that usually uh, you try to hit a bunch of cities you know you take that northwest wing if you're in LA and, and and that kind of but with more cities that's more places you have to go so the games are the same number, but that travel and that travel wear and tear, uh, I think, is a thing. Um, so I'm not totally against it. I don't want to be one of these grumpy guys, you know, back in my day kind of guys. I don't have a problem with it. It's just, I don't know if you sit guys for, like, you say, okay, these guys aren't playing this game. I think that. The old school coaches did a better job at managing minutes. And when you look at minutes being played, I think that is the difference versus what we're seeing right now. Uh, I think they're just better at uh, trusting their second and third tier guys a lot more than, than they were uh, than they are now. Um, well,
1: you said maybe the old school guys did do a better job. Uh, was it yesterday? I was watching you know, the Sports Center. Michael Smith, Middle Hill, Brian Windhorst, who of course covered the Heat for a long time, kind of when when LeBron was in Miami, well, he covered the NBA, but now kind of focuses a lot on the Cavs now that LeBron's in Cleveland. And he was he mentioned that Teron Lue is still kind of new with this. He said you had LeBron, who looks exhausted. That Tristan Thompson looks exhausted. Kevin Lowe is coming back from a knee injury. J.R. Smith has been out three months with an injury. Uh, I think it's Iman Shumpert has, uh, has had a daughter that was born prematurely, so he's been dealing with that, an off the court deal with a new baby. And how are they going to be able to flip the switch You know, with the playoffs? I mean, the season is over in like a week and a half, we've seen LeBron and company, you know, look like they were struggling in years past, and then they, you know, they're they mopping the floor with the East and they're in the finals again. But is this year maybe, up, you know, fraught with obstacles and Hurdles that are maybe too much for even Cleveland with LeBron to overcome? Just this, if you look at them, the way they're going right now, these they're 7-10 in their last 17 games, they scored 74 points against the Spurs. Defensively, they're giving up even more points than your Lakers. I think they're, like, worse in the league right now. So they got a lot of stuff to stick in a short time to correct it. Is, this, is it still possible for them to switch? I mean, should we even doubt LeBron at this point? Kind of like Cal, you probably shouldn't. But they do have a lot of, a lot of little uh, nicks and cuts and bolts and bruises. As a approach.
2: Yeah, well with 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 LeBron, we're in uncharted territory. You know, it's been, you know, fifty, sixty years since we've seen someone go to six straight finals. And and that's extra wear and tear. I mean, you talk about minutes, LeBron has been playing a lot of playoff minutes. Uh what you don't want to have happen, it's it, if you're a top seed in the, in, the, in the NBA, you want to get your first-round series over as quickly as possible. If I'm uh, Coach Lou, I don't want to go in, into the playoffs uh, where that first-round series, I'm still trying to get these guys right. I want to get to 20, 30-point leads and, and rest my guys. I still think that you have to make Cleveland the favorite because, again, this is uncharted territory. We haven't seen anybody really do what LeBron has done over the last eight seasons. We just haven't seen that, as as far as his workload and everything like that. So, I don't know if they'll be able to flip it on, but I, at this point, I don't know if you still if you if you doubt LeBron can get his game right and then everyone else can get on board. Um, so it's just going to be interesting to see how that works out. I still think they're at least the Eastern Conference Finals, where I think they'll meet Boston. But but after that, I, I think Boston, uh, particularly if Boston gets that that Game Seven at home, if they're the number one seed heading in, that's going to be a tough job. I don't. I think LeBron and company can do it, but how much of that's going to take a lot out of you? And then you have to go to the finals against you know most likely the Warriors or whoever comes out of the West. I I, I don't know. I think it's a tough uh, going to be a tough obstacle if they don't get right over the next week. I mean, there's only like eight or nine games left for a lot of these teams, so they're right there at the time where you need to flip on the switch.
1: Yeah, yeah. And conversely, you've got you know the Warriors who naturally were going to struggle when Durant first went down. And now they've, you know, kind of found the groove again without him. And they're, you know, reevaluating him in seven, ten days and possibly he can make a return before the season. Now, of course, he'll have to knock the rust off and, and deal with the soreness and see if how he responds and all that. But they've been able to, you know, experience a little bit of turbulence but then kind of fly through it and, and, and right the ship again and, you know, reworking the rotations and all
2: that. Yeah, and and as we were talking uh, kind of earlier, you know, anytime you're going for a championship, whatever level that is, there's a lot of luck involved, particularly when it yeah. comes to injuries. I mean, we can look at the 03 Cats and Keith Bogans and what could have been. Uh, so injuries play a a, a key Component in that, and and your health and everything like that, like Robbie Moss was on a couple of weeks ago talking about the 2004 team that went into the tournament number one overall seed, but they were pretty banged up. So you know, there's there's there's, there's that way of how you go into the playoffs plays a huge role uh, as well. Um, I think the Warriors, what they know is. Yes, Kevin Durant's hurt. He's a big part of what they do, but you still got Steph Curry that can make a lot of things happen. That's not bad to to, to kind of have your focal point there and still have uh, Clay Thompson or what have you. Uh, but the thing is, if, if LeBron is not able to shoulder that load, and I'm surprised that he's made it as long as he has, then what do yep. what what do the Cavs do? Is, is is Kyrie going to be able to be that guy? And I don't know if he's going to be able to do it.
1: Yeah, I mean, it'd be a lot harder. It's easy to, you know, to be Uncle Drew and even take on the load a little bit with LeBron resting. But like you said, you have a full weight all the time. Uh, I mean, we we saw Cleveland before LeBron got there and they were winning like 20 games a year. I mean, the the team wasn't good, but he was there, and and so that it's a whole different ball game when it's going to be all Kyrie all the time, and like W uncharted territory for him.
3: Yeah,
2: and and I know he had a really really good finals, hit the shot in game seven, had the forty points in game six, but he, he had LeBron there. Let let's not get it totally yeah. twisted. Le- right. LeBron with the rundown block and and the the near dunk where he almost. I think of all the missed dunks I've seen, that I thought he was going to kill Draymond Green. That was going to be another that dunk. But you can do that if you got LeBron on the court with you. I right. don't know if he is able to carry a championship team. With and that's saying LeBron's not at 100%. If LeBron's being out, okay, Cavs. You know, will they get out of the first round? I don't know. Okay, that's, that's that goes without saying. Yeah. Right. <laughs> if LeBron is hurt. But what I'm talking uh, about, there's that there's that moment in, in in you and I, you know, we're of a certain age where we have seen our favorite players they lose that step, and we've been waiting on LeBron those those minutes to kind of add up, and um, you know, he showed us that 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 great you know that great block on Iguodala that I was talking about, but there's going to be that time sooner rather than later. Where he's not going to be able to make that play, that that routine play they used to make effortlessly, he's not going to be able to do that. And and when that time comes, will the Cavs still be able to be the Cavs? Because keep in mind, yes, they won, they came back from three-one, but LeBron had to be pretty superhuman to get that done, and lead. Yeah. You know, he led everybody in the finals. In, in what points, rebounds, assists, steals, blocks—I mean, it, 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 it was cl- <laughs> that was a pretty superhuman performance—and it went to Game <laughs> Seven at the end, so it wasn't like the yeah. Cavs won comfortably. So if he yeah. is not able to do that, you know, can they beat the Warriors? Can they can they beat the Celtics? And you know, as a Laker guy, I hate to mm-hmm. give the Celtics props, but they're playing really really well right now. And, and shout out also. To, to John Wall and his uh, Wizards winning their first division title in in, in uh, a long time, I think 79. Uh, so for all the hate he got from Cowherd, LeBron, or I was like, John Wall has been playing really, really good basketball. I watched him in Cleveland uh, the other night, and he simply outplayed everybody else on the court for that victory for the Wizards. Mm-hmm. So, uh, Whoever the Cats have to go through, it's not going to be that cakewalk like it used to be. Um, yeah. And in any other
3: year. They're going
1: to have to battle. In any, other, in, 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 in any other year, you know, outside of Harden and Russ, what they're doing, Jamal would be getting and should be still getting MVP knowing a lot more MVP consideration than he getting um, get In any other year, he would. But even though James and Russell are doing what they're doing, you still ought to be hearing more people talking about Wall. And it's not happening, and it's it's not going to, because he's just gotten overshadowed. But he's had a heck of a season. And just to go back to what you said about LeBron, you know, leading in points, rebounds and assists and all that, It, it, it reminded me of that cartoon when Buzz Brunner was playing baseball against the gas-out, you realize, you know, first make Buzz money, second <laughs> make Buzz money, stop, uh, Buzz money. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's what the brother had to do. He had to do everything. <laughs> yeah, and, and, that's a,
2: and, and that's the thing is he had to be superhuman even to, even to get that part. And that's the thing. I just don't think the Cavs have as much air, uh, room for air as we kind of – in our minds, built up that they do simply because, I mean, it It took that in coming from 3-1 just to win the title. And yeah. so you have to think, if, if he is not able to do that, can the Cavs win? Uh, I I don't right. know. And it, I think, you know, I've been watching the NBA a long time. I, I can't really think of any other superstar where – and and Kyrie and Kevin Love, they're all stars. They're good players, but to win that championship, I don't know if we've had if we've ever seen one player have to do all that. Uh, even as great as Jordan was, he didn't have to go get every single rebound. I mean, LeBron had to, yeah. I mean, he did it all. The number the numbers back that up. So uh, I just don't think we've seen that. He's been shouldering a, a lot not for just his team, but for the league for a long time. Uh, But back to what you're saying with John Wall, any other year, yeah, John Wall's your guy. John Wall is, uh, I mean, he has been nothing short of fantastic for the Wizards this year for a franchise that hasn't had a lot of success. Uh, You know, their only championship coming courtesy of Seneca graduate Wes Unsell back in 78, but, (laughs) yeah. <laughs> but blimey, you know, blimey. Blimey purpose, right? but but for a franchise that hasn't had a lot of of continued success then and doesn't have that culture. And and I and one little thing about that, we, we talk about uh you know, winning and it, it really if you're going to be successful as a sports organization, as an athletic department, you need folks like Brandon we had on earlier doing their job. That's mm-hmm. uh, the uh, – I don't think a lot of people think about that. When you look at successful franchises and athletic departments and teams and all that, you have got port folks doing what they need to do. You know, we had Dwayne Peavy on, I think it's been a couple of years ago, talking about some of the things Cal – had to do with his previous stops he doesn't have to do here he can just focus on coaching and the same way uh with the nba you look at the teams that have had just continued success i'm gonna put my lakers on there even though right now it's pretty rough although uh uh, jeannie bust made some moves she's in control she's kicked out the brothers, and she brought in her sister, which I didn't even know there was another sister. But that, but when you look at teams that are just have been successful, no matter the, the franchise, ownership stability, front office stability, and there's just a culture from the ticket takers and the parking lot attendants on up. That's how you get it done. And for a, a team like the Wizards, Bullets, that haven't had a lot of success, and for John Wall to come in and be that guy, you know, that's my argument to the Colin Cowherds when they talk about all oh, the Kentucky guys, this, that, and the other. That was a defunct franchise when Wall got there, and now he's got them to where the playoffs aren't that big a deal. They've been in the playoffs and, and you know and ready to to take that next step. It takes a long time to change a culture. of of an organization that isn't used to winning. Mm. Uh, So that's my little soapbox about that, but uh, not just saying, you know, because he's a Kentucky guy, but when you go to a terrible pro team and you're tabbed as being the savior, that's big shoes. And and it's not necessarily a job you can do all by yourself. So, uh, but, but wall has kind of set the tone uh, for that franchise and, and they're ready and, they're going to be a tough out in the playoffs. They really are. Uh, you know, we 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 talk about March in the NCAA tournament being a, a lot of good guard play. you got to have good guard play no matter what level of basketball you're at. And if John Wall can control the game like he's shown he's been able to do this season and even last season, that makes the Wizards a tough out.
0: One level.
1: One funny nugget too about the Wizards. And then I got I to gotta switch to a, a sad note in college football that is right here down the road for me. I just tweeted it out. But I think it was the, uh, the Slam magazine that's been around that was kind of a staple about the, the cool, you know, hip hop vibe, basketball magazine that came up in the 90s when we did. I mean, Sports Illustrated was cool. But Slam was a whole different thing. I never did subscribe to it, but there was I'd go to the store a few times and buy me a copy here and there. And it was I don't know Russ Bingston and Lane Whitaker, one of those guys that wrote. You, you talked about John Wall having to change the culture for the Wizards, and it was the article was about how the Wizards were changing their name. I'm sorry, changing the name from the Bullets to the Wizards, and. <laughs> He, he took a shot at the end and said, well, if you have seen the Bullets, and they're changing the name to the Bullets because, you know, the, the Bullets had that violent message. That they didn't want it to convey that. he said, well, if anybody's seen the Bullets play these past 10, for years, the Bullets have been the best anti violence message around. So that's, that's the Bullets we grew up with. That's the team that John Wall, <laughs> that's the team John Wall had to change around. They had, they had some good moments, you know, fellow Harlem County, Bernie Biggerstaff was the coach there when they had C-Webb mm-hmm. and Jawan Howard and Calvert Chaney. They were an up-and-coming team. The Bulls swept them that year, but Michael Jordan and Pickman gave them a lot of respect because it, it wasn't a super easy sweep, and they were kind of like, hey, you guys, you know, we swept y'all, but we got to give y'all props. Y'all made us work, and so on and so forth. But outside of those few little highlights, and, because you mentioned Wes Huntell leading to the title in 78, John Wall had to turn around a dumpster fire of a franchise. And like you said, it does take time for that to happen, and we're seeing it take place now. He even has had to go through a coaching change already. You know, Scott Brooks is there now when it was Randy Whitman. So that transition probably isn't getting factored in as much as it should. But they are rolling. Otto Porter is a nice player. Martin, Gortat, they got nice people there. And like you said, that's why it's not going to be so easy for Cleveland just to show up and beat everybody down. Got to shift it real quick because, you know, every time we come on the show, I always say I live outside of Knoxville and you're from Louisville because nobody knows where I live. I live in Morristown, Tennessee. It's in between Kingsport, Bristol, Tri and Knox. I can be in both places about the same amount of time. So that kind of gives you an idea. That's why I never say Morristown, Nobody knows. But anyway, right down the road in Jefferson City, about 20 minutes away from where I live, I actually work in Jefferson City, um, is Carson Newman College. And it's a small college, small town. They've actually put some dudes in the NFL. The coach there, Carson Newman, was named Ken Sparks. He had been there for 37 years, uh, retired in November. Uh, He just passed away this morning. There's actually some guys where I'm from, I grew up with, in Little Legion, where I'm from, that that went and played Ken Sparks at Carson Newman. Uh, So he's a legend here. Uh, in this area, Carson Newman was Division II.
3: Uh,
1: Ken Parks had 338 wins in 37 years. Uh, the only coach with more wins was John Gagliardi, Joe Paterno, Eddie Robinson, and Bobby Babble. Uh He retired in November. Uh, he had been diagnosed with prostate cancer back in 2012, but, you know, he was going to coach as long as he could. He coached for another four or five seasons. Uh, After that, and his funny quote was that his goal was to die on the practice field, and they just roll him over into the Kudzu vines off to the side of the practice field. That way his wife would have to worry about funeral arrangements. That was such a funny line when he passed away. But before Carson Newman joined the U.S.A. in '93. Ken Sparks won five NAIA titles 1983, 84, 86, 88, 89. Uh, runner up in 87. And then when they moved to the NCAA in 93, he was runner up in 96, 98, 99. So a heck of a coach. Um, like I said, I, I drive right by their campus all the time on the way to work. So a lot of people are saddened to hear this news. And like I said, this story is on the AP. Um, so. Small town, but a big impact, so, um, and hate to hear the passing of Coach Ken Sparks. Uh, so I didn't have to mention that, with it being just just right down the road, rather And and that just going to audit- show you, there's there's. Go ahead, go ahead. Go
2: ahead. I was just saying, there's there's just good news stories. You know, college athletics is not just about the big time. You can find great stories at all levels of Collegiate Athletics. I'm, I'm,
0: I'm glad you, you
2: shared did. that. I had not
0: seen that. I've heard of the yeah, talk, I, but I'm but uh, I'm glad you shared it. I, um, I,
1: I saw, I just happened to look, I saw him, his name trending on Twitter, and I thought, uh oh, the new movies, his health hasn't been that great. Uh, I tweeted it out on the show account, Catch Wednesday, and on my personal tweet. I think I just tweeted out the Carson Newman tweet from their football tweet, but uh, I'll go back and tweet out the article from the AP, actually, too. But uh, they put some guys in the NFL. There was a guy that played for the Eagles very, very recently. He was a fullback for the Eagles. And, of course, you know, I, I would always check him out, you know, being a Cowboys fan, having to play him twice a year. And, uh, I always kind of paid attention to the Eagles roster to see how long he stayed there. I can't remember his name, but he was he was – We've got a lot of runs for the Eagles. He was out there on the field, you know, lead blocking and, and you know, going in motion and doing this and that and the other. But right there from Bill Carson Newman in Jefferson City, Tennessee. So um, a great coach, a great man. And he Here's All 37 years right there at, at Carson Newman. So, yeah, I'll check that out. And it'll be, it'll be cool for anybody that definitely does want to read it. Uh, speaking of cool, we had a cool show little sad about the ending of the season. Oh before what do you think will happen with the final four before we jump over here. You know, we we got South Carolina Gonzaga, North Carolina Oregon. What are our final college football picks? Well us see yeah, what's the season gonna be be? So because next Monday we'll already know it's definitely. Uh you know, I was talking
2: to uh, Randy Newman at Big Blue Express. And I kind of talk about it depends on when and how Kentucky loses if I've watched the Final Four. In 2015, I went to a movie and did not watch Duke <laughs> play whoever it was they played. Uh, well, Wisconsin, the beat us, whatever.
3: Yeah. yeah. Uh, I
2: didn't watch it. Uh, I started that tradition in uh, 1999. Uh, once we were not in the Final Four, I didn't watch it. Championship game, I went to a uh, movie. And that's what I tend to do. I'm on the fence about this one. I don't know if I will watch it simply because I'm going to be in the back of my mind. We were two points away from being in the final <laughs> four. If, if, mm-hmm. I, if, I, if I had to gather, uh, I would probably say, I mean, strangely enough, it could be Gonzaga simply because they have mm-hmm. size. They've mm-hmm. they got size to deal with. Uh... uh Carolina, who is, is very very big, and you know we we've seen those guys up front. Uh, but I think they they've got really good guard play. They've got that. Uh, oh, I can. there's number five? I can't think of his name now. But he's very very steady. And 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 that's the thing is if you don't make a lot of turnovers. Uh, I, mean, I, I know that sounds like ridiculous. Uh, uh, a regular thing to say, don't turn the ball over, you'll win. But if you've got a point guard that, that can really control tempo on both ends of the court and and can distribute the ball, like I've seen Gonzaga do, I, I'm kind of buying into the Zags. I don't buy into this that they're mid-major, that yada, yada, yada. I don't buy that. But I think that, uh, yeah, they can, they can definitely do it. Uh, but also Oregon, I mean – Look, I, I may just tune in because this is going to be some really good basketball games uh, this weekend at the Final Four. The way Oregon dispatched Kansas, and, and, you know, don't get it twisted, it really wasn't a game. You know, one you no. got to the second half and Kansas punched and Oregon punched back. It really wasn't, It's you know, eight to ten points maybe, you know, a little bit more than that. It was a comfortable lead for Oregon. And the thing is, they played badly for stretches in the second half, but Kansas couldn't close the gap. Uh, but I, I think Gonzaga gets it done. Uh, you know, although it could be North Carolina's year, only because I think at some point the NCAA will rule on their academic scandals and they'll have to forfeit <laughs> a title yeah. or two. Uh, I think I think yeah. that's that's kind of where I'm coming on that. Uh, but I, I, I probably will watch it, I'm guessing. Uh, but, yeah, it, it, it really depends on how Kentucky's doing, whether or not I will watch the Final Four.
1: And I I get that. I get that tradition. And I just always watch it um, outside of U.K. basketball. I'm pretty used to watching playoffs and championships that don't involve my team. There's been a little drought for the Cowboys and the Rockets and and the Braves and and all of that. So I just watch it because I know the season is about to be over. And, you know, even though it's not my team, I like seeing who ends up, you know, finishing it off before you go into that period where you don't have whatever sport it is that we're watching. Uh, I picked North Carolina in the bracket to win it. It wouldn't surprise me if Oregon uh, was able to to knock them off. They're on a nice little roll, kind of like Michigan was, uh, even though Oregon has lost one of their best beating in, which uh, they can definitely use them against North Carolina, but they're still playing good enough to beat them if they come to play. Uh, I'll still end up I'll probably be North Carolina, Gonzaga. South Carolina is playing – Amazing defense. It looks like there's eight of them on the court no matter who they're playing. They're just choking the life out of everybody they've played in the tournament. But um, I think Gonzaga might be a little too much for them. I think North Carolina beat Gonzaga in the championship Monday night. And my last question to you before you jump off here. Unfortunately, we get a lot of replay and rehashing and the latest shot. We've been to and all that. Were you a Louisville fan when he hit that in 92? Were you still a Louisville fan? Or were you watching it, you know, happy that Kentucky lost? And were you a Kentucky fan that was sad like the rest of us at
2: that time? <laughs> this this <laughs> is going to get me into some trouble. I'm glad you set me well, up. For this was going to get me in trouble. Uh, I was I was a Louisville fan. Everybody knows I was a Louisville fan growing up. Uh, yeah. You know, the Metro Conference and then the Louisville and everything like that. I didn't. I didn't have my conversion until ninety four, ninety five. So oh, So when the laser okay. shot hit, it it didn't bother me. Now in retrospect, <laughs> I get it, but I don't have that moment of watching it and just being devastated. Because again, hmm. I'm old, and I'm old enough. I was actually, you know, bringing that up. I think it was my senior RA, or I'm trying to. Remember. Who this person was that was a senior there when I was a freshman at u k that was actually telling that, you know stories about what happened on campus after that shot, so that's you know, yeah. how old I am but <laughs> uh, but watching the shot live it 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 didn't bother me. I might have chuckled
1: a little bit, but yeah, uh,
2: yeah uh, in, in retrospect, well, it, but in retrospect, <laughs> the way it has been lifted up. You know, there have been shots that have been better than that shot. There have been shots that have won championships. You go back to Villanova's shot last year. In my mind, and this may sound bitter, I think Gordon Hayward's miss in 2010 was more of an iconic shot than the hit, than Leitner's shot. Uh, Mm -hmm. But this starts the whole thing, and I know I've kind of taken a segue here. But this was really highlighted last year with Marcus Page and his circus shot before Josh Hart shot. You know, yeah. Josh Hart shot, big time shot, but it, he walked into that shot. I mean that's the shot that oh, yeah. you're like Chris okay, Jenkins. a warm up shot.
3: Yeah, Chris. What? Jenkins.
2: Chris, Chris Jenkins. Jenkins. Chris Jenkins, I'm sorry. I got you. But he was kind of he kind of walked it up and, and hit. Page's shot was the incredible shot. My only thing is, if you're gonna sh- Leitner talk about that game and the Leightner shot, give Sean Woods some love because, you know, and since then I have watched the game in its entirety. The Wood shot before that shot was incredible, but it's one of those that kind of gets forgotten about. Nobody remembers the shot before the shot, and I get that, but uh, Sean Woods and, and it needs to get needs to get some love.
1: Yeah, and, you know, back, you know, the thing is, you know, later should have, in a lot of people's minds, my mind, should have never been around to hit all the shots, you know, when he stomped on Timberlake like that. Um, you know, I think they teed him up, but they left him in the game. Um, and and the, thing, the fact that he went 10-for-10 10 10 from the field, 10-for-10 10 10 from the line, there been other... Better shots, but the fact that he didn't miss all day, the fact that he shouldn't have been in that game, the fact that you can tell he was such a good liar, the fact that I was a teenager at the time, that's what ramps it all up into you know, when you're not being a fan, you're like, yeah, okay. And even watching it back later, you know, um, I'm sure that, you know, Celtics fans when they watch Magic hit that shot over Parish and Bird and Mikael that little baby hook same thing uh, just a just a stab to the heart. You take for me you take the shot Luke May hit and it was a uh, oh and for me the shot that Penson and Jackson hit to cut it to one I still believe was the turning point in the game. The gut punch the May shot you have to magnify that hundreds of times to give, for, for, you know, to feel what everybody felt, especially in my age group when Leitner hit his shot. Because when you're a teenager, it just, it's just that much more life or death to you. You don't have kids. You're not married yet. You don't have a job. You don't have all this other stuff to put more perspective in your life. So you, you, take, you take May's shot and just put it on the most – potent steroids you can and then it'll get in the later shot neighborhood. I sound like Mercury Horse right now. That's you know <laughs> all bitter, but that's that's just kind of where it is. You know if I'd have been thirty five when to hit the shot, I'd have been oh man, that sucks. But you know, you'd you shook it off a little bit quicker and moved on. Because you'd have to do you had to go to work the next day. But <laughs> being thirteen, fourteen <laughs> That's why it's just so, oh, and that's all you can say about it. But, you know, um, so it's, it's never going to go away. It, you know, Chris Dinkinshot did trump it because it was for a championship, so that lessened some of the impact of it. But, you know, uh, K-Win Lefford's last game, all the kids from Southeast yeah. Kentucky playing into Pelphrey, Richie Farmer and all that, oh, Feldhaus, yeah. the whole thing, just all of that just, you know, perfect storm for
2: the way it played out. Yeah, I think that all goes into it, the defending champion. I, I, don't get me wrong. I recognize the moment. Uh, I do. Um, and I understand the, the you know, the, the fan base. And, you know, I said retroactively I'm kind of, you know, against seeing it again and all that kind of stuff. Mo. Yeah. Uh, well, you know. My
1: oldest asked me about my oldest son asked me why do why do we hate Duke? You know, and so I, I pulled out the video, YouTube showed him late Stoneman, showed him the last little bit of the game. And he's like, Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> now I see now I know why <laughs> we hate Duke You know, <laughs> it clicked with him. you know, this was just when we showed up some practice. You know, I was able to watch the Duke in the A C C tournament. Well, so why do we hate Duke so much, Dad?
2: But I had and let him know. Yeah. <laughs> well, well I, my oldest the same way. I, she's just mind boggled that he wasn't thrown out for stomping on the chest. Yes. Uh, and and she's, and also she says, you know, everybody's talking about Duke and this that and the other that game, you know. And I said, well, I said it's the only time Duke has beaten us in the tournament, so they got to celebrate that. <laughs> that's true. one. The that's their one. They, they, yeah. they lost in '66. They lost in 78, they lost in 98, so they got to have
1: that's that right. one against us. So, yeah. That's right. Well, man, I had to. I know we went a little bit long, but I had to ask you, because I wasn't sure when you became a Kentucky fan. I knew it was 90-something, but I didn't know if you were a like, Kentucky fan, 92 or not. So that's why I had to ask you. I wasn't trying to get you in no kind of trouble or none of that, <laughs> but I just, to, I just had to see what vantage point you you saw that from. And so I was, it was good to know So ninety four, ninety five is when you flipped over So I'm, I'm up on it now but, That's uh, right yeah, Had a super good show Thank you, Brandon Codis And Jeff for coming on I Appreciate all the insights you bring Each and every week Appreciate everybody listening uh, And tweet us at Cat Talk Wednesday Take us on the Facebook page To Cats Talk Wednesday Over 400 people have liked the page So that is awesome I Appreciate that and we look forward to bringing you another fun show next week. Check out the McDonald game tonight. I'll take a little NBA Warriors and Spurs. Have a good rest of the evening TV. And thanks, everybody. Do you the Enjoy. Enjoy the show, y'all. We'll see y'all next week. For my man, Terry TV Brown, this is Benny Hardy. And we are going to end the show now. We'll see everybody this time next week. Thanks for listening to Cats Talk Wednesday, Benny Hardy. Hey, Brown. Brown and Hotty Radio Network, blogtalkradio.com. We'll see you everybody next Wednesday.